friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Rydelnik. I'm the professor of Jewish studies and Bible and the academic dean at Moody Bible Institute. This is Moody Radio's Bible study across America. It's where you get to ask your questions and I'll try my best to answer them about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question, give me a call. The phone number is 877-548-3675. You can also post your question by going to our webpage, openlineradio.org. There's a link there that says you can click on and post your question. It's called Ask Michael a Question. Trish will get that question and then she will put it in the mailbag. Before we go back to the phones, let me tell you about our current resource. I loved co-editing the Moody Bible Commentary with my friend, Mike Van Lanningham. I use that commentary all the time. Frankly, there are parts that remain especially helpful. Two of those are the commentaries on Psalms and Proverbs. We tend to turn to the Psalms for comfort, but the Moody Commentary helps unwrap the Messiah, that's one that I think that's very special, the Messiah is in the Psalms, and the Moody Commentary helps unwrap and help us understand some of those Messianic Psalms as well as just understanding the Psalms in general. The Proverbs Commentary helps unwrap the mysterious riddles in the Proverbs. The actual word, one of the words in Hebrew for a proverb is a riddle, so it, it takes some thought. And Dave Finkbeiner did a great job writing the commentary on the Proverbs, one of the best books uh, I've ever read on the Proverbs. When you give a gift of any size to OpenLine, we want to say thank you by sending you an excerpt of the Moody Bible Commentary. It's a book just with the commentary on Psalms and Proverbs, and it can be yours if you give a gift of any size. We want to say thanks a lot. If you'd like to give a gift, call 888-644-7122 or go to Openline Radio. Remember, when you give the gift, ask for Psalms and Proverbs from the Moody Bible Commentary. Well, we're going to go to the phones right now. We're going to speak with Gene in Grand Rapids, Michigan, listening on WGNB. Welcome to Open Line, Gene. How can I help you? Thank you. Really appreciate your program. <clears throat> okay, we this has been we've been pondering this for a long time. We can't understand how translations can be so completely different in what they mean. Okay, in one translation, which is the King James, it said that um, children should take care of, you know, I mean, that's not in the King James, but kids should take care of parents. You know, first what it is, I forgot exactly the verse. First the children, you know, the church, then the children, and then most translations say the grandchildren, but someone said, no, that's not right, because the King James says nieces and nephews. Now, that's really removed, I believe, so I just, uh, we don't understand that. Those are so completely different. Yeah. Well, here's the King James. It says, if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. That's what the King James says. However, most versions say if any widow has children or grandchildren. In fact, the New King James Version 
says grandchildren. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Why is that? Because the original King James Version, and I can't get into the heads of the translators, but I looked it up in Greek and also not just in the the Greek text that's used for modern translations, but I went back and looked at the received text, the majority text in Greek uh, that the King James was based on, and that too says grandchildren. So the best I can tell you about why the original King James says nephew is because, and I hate to say this, they mistranslated it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Now well, I don't. I this is the second time I had to do it in this uh, program today to say sometimes the King James gets it wrong. Now the problem is, it's not the problem with the text; it's the problem with the translators sometimes. And part of the reason is that the King James translators were operating in 1611, and sometimes I don't think they understood the languages well enough. That could very well be the problem, that we know better about the languages today. So that, and the, this is not a problem for me to say I understand something better now than I than I would have four or five hundred years ago. The problem is that there are people who think that the translation, the King James translation, is inspired. The text of the Bible in the original autographs. That's what's inspired. That's what's inerrant. How well, all the Bible is inspired in and when it was written, but the the and it's the text that's inspired. The original manuscripts were inerrant, but the the problem is translations are never without error. All translators make mistakes as we learn things, we learn better what they mean, and so there are some mistakes in the King James, and it's just purely you know, a lack of knowledge at that time for what a word might mean. I think that's what, what happened here. They may have had some other agenda, but I'm not aware of it. But the New King James Version, which is based on the same Greek text, changes it to grandchildren. Okay? Yeah, well, that does make sense. Like it says, all Scripture is inspired. And I, I have the New King James and the other person... They, uh, they have the King James only, they say mm-hmm. to me. So I don't know. It was so yeah. confusing. It's, it's the scriptures that are inspired, not the translations. That's the thing to remember. Okay, I got it. Okay. I got it. Great. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Jean. Thanks so much for your call. Uh, we're going to speak next with Jackie in Chicago, listening on our main station here, what, our flagship station, WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Jackie. How can I help you? Hi, hi, Michael. Hi. Um, what I wanted to know is in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 9, mm-hmm. they talk about the loaves of bread will belong to Aaron and his descendants mm-hmm. uh, who, who must eat them in a sacred place. Where would that sacred place be? This is talking about the tabernacle. And what it's saying, it belongs to Aaron and to his sons who are to eat it in a holy place, for it is the holiest portion for him from the fire offerings to the Lord. This is a permanent rule. What happens is, you know, that the there's a sense of sacred space in Scripture. 
And what happens is where the tabernacle and later where the temple is built, that is considered a sacred space, more holy. Then, as you move from the general area, there's a narrowing. So everyone could go at the outer points. Then there was the court of the gent. So there was the court of the Gentiles that everyone could go to. Then there was a barrier that said, no, now only the chosen people can continue past this area. Then there was the place where the sacrifices were offered, where the people could offer sacrifices along with the priests, but the priests alone could eat the bread, and there was always bread there, uh, and that was part of the food for the priests, but they had to eat the bread in that sacred place where the offerings were made. And then you went to, so that was the, the holy place, and then there's a place that's even holier. Sometimes versions call it the holiest place. Old versions called it the holy of holies, which is how it's literally written in Hebrew. So there's this this gradual place. And that place, you know, every time there's a narrowing of who can go to the, the more holy places, then what you have in the holy of holies or the most holy place, that is where only the high priest can go and only once a year. Okay, so that's oh, what. Oh, okay. Okay, so that's what it means by yes. a sacred place. Okay, oh, that, that would be you. where the offerings are made. So, okay, I'm so glad. By the way, isn't this? I'll give you a great lesson for us. And when we look at the book of Hebrews, which I think it's great to study Leviticus before you study Hebrews. Eva just finished reading. My wife Eva just finished reading Leviticus, and I've I've been reading Hebrews, and I looked up in the morning, and I noticed that she, too, is reading Hebrews. And I said, why is that? And she's, she said, after you read Leviticus, you have to read Hebrews. It says this, uh, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Here's the great news. Whereas in the tabernacle and the temple, there was a narrowing of who could approach God closer and closer. We, through our high priest, through the Messiah Jesus, we can boldly go where no man went before. We can boldly enter into God's presence. He, we don't have to worry about, oh, this is not a space for me. Through Jesus, we can enter into God's presence. We can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. We never have to fear. We don't have to be like Esther, who feared going to see the king because would he point his scepter at her? No, we can boldly enter into the presence of our God and Father because we have the Messiah Jesus. If we've put our trust in him, he leads the way force. Don't you think that's more encouraging than narrowing the way? He leads the way and brings us right into God's presence. I hope that encourages you, Jackie. And if you're listening out there and you're thinking, I need help from God, uh, you're... It it does help. Yeah, yeah. I need help from God. We can boldly enter when Jesus calls us. Uh, Well, thanks for your call, Jackie. I I hope that... uh, that's encouraging to you. And uh, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to 
uh, take more of your calls, so don't hesitate to call 877-548-3675. Uh, this is Michael Rydelnik. You're listening to Open Line, where we study the Bible together. We answer questions about Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Thanks for your calls. We're going to be right back with more of them in just a moment, so stay right there. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Radelnik. Hope you're having a great time like I am. I love studying the scriptures with you. You know, there's a couple who listened to Open Line and they contacted me recently and told me they had just become kitchen table partners. They had decided to give monthly to Open Line because they believed it was an investment in God's kingdom. I'm so grateful they believe that and that they acted on it. They told me that they're praying that the Lord would double the number of kitchen table partners in order to double the impact of Open Line. I'm so grateful for this generous couple who have greater vision than even I. They, they, they see a great impact in Open Line and they want it to expand. If Open Line is helping you in your walk, maybe you can be the answer to this couple's prayer. You too can become a kitchen table partner and give monthly to Open Line. And maybe you've given a gift occasionally or used to give a gift and you think, well, uh, when there's a really good resource, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give a gift then and receive the resource. And I understand that. But let me tell you, it really helps if you would consider becoming a kitchen table partner and give monthly. And if you do, I'll send you a Bible study moment every other week, an audio Bible study designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners. Become a kitchen table partner today by calling 888 888- 644-7122 or sign up online at openlineradio.org. And we're going to speak with Kathy in Macon, Georgia, listening on WPWB. Welcome to Open Line, Kathy. How can I help you? Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Um, I've been asked at my church to teach the women uh, Sunday school class, mm-hmm. and i and I've listened to some of your programs on uh, where the topic was uh, should women remain silent and all that. And so I want to ask how, if it's permissible to, uh, you know, continue with this uh, in obtaining to be a Sunday school teacher for the women class. Mm-hmm. And if so, uh, how to be a more effective, what can I do to be an effective uh, Bible teacher? Well, let's be clear about what it says when it says in 1 Corinthians 14 that women are to be silent in the churches. I I don't believe that that is saying that women are to put a piece of tape over their lips and never say a word. That is certainly not what it's saying, and I'm going to tell you why. It says it in verse... Uh, Women are not permitted to speak, but they should be submissive, as the law also says. Here's why. I know it can't mean absolute silence, because in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about head coverings. And back then, a woman had to wear a head covering to show their submissiveness. And it says in particular here that a woman should keep her head covered when she prophesies, which was a gift that was still available then, or prays. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now, if she's praying in the congregation out loud or she's 
exhorting through prophecy out loud, she's obviously not silent. So when it says in 1 Corinthians 14 that women are to show their submissiveness by being silent, it's not talking about absolute silence in church. What it's talking about, in particular in that verse, I believe, when the authoritative Word of God is being taught, they shouldn't be shouting out to their husbands, hey, what do you think of that? Or what does that mean? Or things like that. It's not saying that they never can talk in church. I want to be really clear about that. Then you come to 1 Timothy 2, where it says that a woman should learn in silence. You look at that word, it, it shouldn't be translated silence. In Acts 22 and in 2 Thessalonians 3.12, it talks about, it uses the same word, and all it means is quietly. So it's how every person should learn, which is quietly. I think that's, you know, when I teach a class here at Moody Bible Institute, I expect the students to learn quietly. Now, that doesn't mean they can't raise a question. It doesn't mean that we can't have a normal class interaction or discussion. What that means is I'm the teacher, and when I'm lecturing, they have to receive it quietly. Now, that that's all that First uh, Timothy 2 is saying is that they, a woman should learn quietly with full submission. And then it says a woman shouldn't teach or exercise authority. It's saying don't take the role of an elder and give the authoritative proclamation of the word in the congregation. It's not saying a woman can't teach the woman's Sunday school class or the children's Sunday school class or anything of that sort. It is saying a woman shouldn't take the role of an elder and have the authoritative proclamation of the word in the weekly gathering of, of the saints. Okay? Okay. Now, how do you better okay. prepare yourself to teach more effectively? Uh, yeah. uh, well, first of all, your, your church should have some teacher training. Avail yourself okay. of that. Secondly, uh, I, th- I think the name of the book by Howard Hendricks, Trisha, help me. Teaching to Saint Change Lives, is that the name of the book? I would get, I would get that book, uh, Teaching to Change Lives by Howard Hendricks. Uh, it's a great oh, book for helping us understand the, the teacher-learner process, and it applies in every setting. Get that book. Uh, hey, Trisha, you can come on. Uh, who's that by? Do you, uh, uh, who's the publisher? Um, I'm just pulling that up. Multnomah. Multnomah, Teaching to Change Lives. Wonderful book by Howard Hendricks. He was my professor of Bible study methods when I was in seminary and uh, really, really helpful. Uh, he also had that great book about how to study the Bible, which is a great way before you teach it to learn how to study the Bible. It's called Living by the Book. It was the very first resource we ever gave away on Open Line. Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. That's a Moody Publishers book. So that's what I would do. Get yourself, avail yourself of the teacher training in your congregation and also get those two books by Howard Hendricks and study them. Okay? Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for your call. Uh, We're going to speak next with Natalie in Akron, Ohio, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line, Natalie. How can I help you? Uh, Thanks uh, for taking my question. My question is, well, there's a situation with that I'm very disturbed by. Uh, the pastor of my church allows unsafe people who are not believers 
to take communion and it bothers me. Mm-hmm. Is there a verse, a Bible verse that supports that? I know that Judas took communion. Well, that wasn't communion yet. Up. That was not communion yet. That was Oh, that that was not communion. That was just a Passover. But it but it, it bothers me, and um, I'm, I'm wondering, is there a Bible ber- verse that supports unsafe people mm-hmm. taking communion? Well, clearly, the, the Bible teaches that the Lord's table is a fellowship meal, okay? Meaning it's a meal, it's not really a meal, but we eat and drink the cup to demonstrate our solidarity of faith with each other. It's a fellowship meal. And so that seems to be, oh, this is for believers. And therefore, most churches say, there there are some churches say this is a closed communion, meaning you have to be a member of our church because we don't know what your status is. Uh, Then I think most churches today would say, whether you're a member or not, if you are a genuine follower of Jesus, you can join us for this. Uh, But you need to take the Lord's Supper no matter what in a worthy way because it says whoever eats and drinks without uh, uh, examining themselves, without confessing their sins and restoring their fellowship with the Lord, uh, whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, which is uh, what 1 Corinthians 11 says, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep, a euphemism for death. So uh, when it says without, basically what it's saying, if you drink the Lord's Supper unworthily and not discern the Lord's body, you're drinking judgment upon yourself. Okay. Now, I'm going, now I'm going to just shock you. I always encourage the Lord's table when I'm leading it, when I was a pastor, I would say, this is only for followers of Yeshua. And I was very strict about it, followers of Jesus, right? And then a friend of mine said to me, I agree with you, say this is a fellowship meal and all this, but he said, why are you so strict? He says, John 3 says that lost people are already under condemnation. If they take the Lord's Supper unworthily, it's not getting worse. And what you're doing is, I mean, if they're drinking judgment to themselves, they're already under judgment if they don't know the Lord. They're already under condemnation. So don't, don't get so worked up about that. And I thought, you know, he's right. He's right. So I don't, I, I will say this is a fellowship meal for all true followers of Yeshua, but I don't look around and say, no, no, you don't take it. Or, no, you don't take it. Uh, I'm happy that there are, are people who are seeking the Lord, and if they're going to bring judgment to themselves, so be it, uh, because hopefully they're going to come to faith and and then be forgiven. So that's that's where I'm at about it. So I'm not quite where your pastor is, where I don't, I, but I, I don't. I wouldn't get upset if there were people who didn't know the Lord and were taking the Lord's Supper. Because so I'm, a, I'm, ups, bringing... I, I'm upset that they're under judgment already, you know, uh, and I want them to come to know the Lord. So your so your friend basically was saying, 
based on them not being believers, they're already under judgment. Yeah. So taking the Lord's Supper doesn't really make a difference because they are already under judgment. Exactly. That's exactly what my friend said. And, but as, and as uh, by the way, leader, he's the one I dedicated a, the 50 questions book to. It's my friend Larry Feldman who, who said that to me, and I thought, yeah, he really knows the word. He's right. Okay. But as a leader and a pastor, is he leading people down the wrong path? No, he's is actually it... he's actually uh, leading people to faith in Yeshua. He keeps saying that this is a meal for only followers of Yeshua. This uh, this Lord's table is for followers of Jesus. It's if you've put your trust in Jesus. And then he says, there's sometimes people who are just, they want to do it too. And he says, what am I going to do? J- grab the, the cup out of their hand and say, no, 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 you can't. Uh, he said, they're, they're drinking judgment to themselves, but they're already under judgment. So I think that there's, there's some wisdom in that. And uh, here's the thing I want. I always say, I always, I always explain the gospel and give people an opportunity to trust in Jesus even before we have the Lord's Supper. So that's what I do when I'm a pastor. Okay? Mm-hmm. I, 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 it's not what you wanted to hear, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry uh, for that, but I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. We're going to come right back with more of your questions. In fact, Trish has got the mailbag all ready to go, and I'll try and answer more than I did last hour. And you're listening to Open Line with Michael Rydelic. Stay right there. Coming right back. To Open Line. So glad that you're listening. And one of my favorite things to do is talk to Tricia. I, we talk between when we can between segments she's telling me what i'm supposed to say but besides <laughs> besides that uh i love it when she comes on the air because she knows the questions that you've been sending in and she gets to pick which ones we're going to talk about so welcome back trisha thank you yeah it's always fun you know what people i you were joking last hour about how people like hearing eva and all this no 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 they like hearing you and Eva. They love your voice. They love talking with you. I think it's great. Okay, what's what do we got here? All right, our first question is from Randolph in Florida. Listen to WRMB. Who was asked a question by a six-year-old that he didn't have an answer for? Um, and so I'm hoping you have an answer for him. Um, where did the title Reverend come from? Hmm. Well, I had to look it up. Okay. What did I know? But I did look it up because uh, we we got the questions. I got the today. I got the questions in yeah. advance. So thank you. Fifteenth <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, century England, the word reverend was a general term of respect, like we would say Mister to someone. The word reverend was used, and by the seventeenth century, it began to be limited to ordained clergy. It means reverent or holy kind of person. Uh, and it was funny. We were laughing, even I, about someone that uh, there's an ordained person that goes by the reverend doctor so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, that's just a little too much. 
you know, based on Matthew 23, where it says don't call anyone rabbi or father, or, you know, just don't use these honorific titles. And I said, how would you like that if I went by Reverend Dr. Eva? And she said, well, I, no, I said, how do you like it when people use Reverend Dr.? And she said, oh, I just wouldn't even listen to that person. And I said, how about me? She says, definitely not you. <laughs> so <laughs> I never liked being called Reverend after I was ordained, and I, I, I really stuck stood away from it. Hmm. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not any more reverent than anyone else. Uh, I think we all have the same standing before God. We have to live holy lives. We're all called to it, whether we're a pastor or something else. So Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that answer. Uh, next question is from Rex in Georgia, listens to WMBW. Where in the Bible, or does it mention in the Bible, a rope being tied to the priest when he goes into the Holy of Holies? Unmentioned in the Bible, sacrifice. just the story that preachers use. Okay. Not is in the it Bible. based in Jewish Not, tradition? I can't even find it in Jewish literature. Huh. Just a story. Interesting. It's. I mean, it's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have no... no There's uh, no biblical basis. Yeah. No. No, nothing in the Bible or Jewish rabbinic tradition. Okay. Yeah. I want to I answer a question. I think it's number 20. Okay, Okay. moving to number 20, about Adam. Yep. That one? Okay. James in Illinois listens to WMBI and says, Adam is referred to in Scripture as the first Adam, and Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. He has heard someone teaching that the Antichrist is the third Adam, and he wants to know if that's accurate. Here's what I want to answer this, because I think it teaches a good lesson of interpreting Scripture. Yeah. Okay. The Scripture names who the Antichrist is. There's many Antichrists, but there is an the Antichrist is coming. He's also called the Beast in Revelation 13. In Daniel 9, he's called the Prince who is to come. He is never called the third Adam. In Romans 5, you've got the first Adam and the second Adam. Uh, Adam from Adam and Eve is the first Adam. The Lord Jesus is the second Adam. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 says, don't go beyond that which is written. So some preacher may have concocted the idea that the Antichrist is the third Adam, but the Bible doesn't say it, and so I would caution and say, don't go beyond that which is written. I use the biblical names, which is the beast, the prince who is to come, and uh, the Antichrist. That's what I would use. The f- and then, and actually, I don't even use the Antichrist because people don't know what it means. Antichrist, the word anti in Greek, means uh, opposed to. So we think he's the one that's opposed to Christ. But it also means false. And Mm. really what Antichrist means, false messiah. So I call him the false messiah, the future false messiah, which is what the text actually calls him. Okay. So A lot of times with this question and the previous one, these things sound really good, and we don't go exploring them ourselves in the Bible to find mm-hmm. out if they're actually there, or we're not sure where to look for them in the Bible, because you can say, oh, well, what does the Bible say? Well, how am I supposed to find it? And I mean, how am I going to find Daniel 9 versus Revelation 13? They're not even close to it, unless you're reading the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. But to absorb or okay. find this one word. I, th- I think one of the best ways to do that is get yourself a Bible dictionary. So if you had, for example, the, Ung- the New Unger's Bible Dictionary from Moody Publishers, which is a great book, and looked up Antichrist, it would tell you this. 
Mm, it would tell you his other names mm-hmm. and where to find them. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, that that's a great tool. People always ask me, what tools should they have to start if they want to study the Bible genuinely with some depth? I would say everyone needs a Bible dictionary, and I love it that Moody Publishers has great reference books, and the, the Ungers, the New Ungers Bible Dictionary is a terrific book. It is, it is just filled with information that will help you. So there are other good Bible dictionaries, but I think the New Ungers Bible Dictionary is one of the best. And then the, the second book that I think everyone needs is a one-volume commentary, just a one-volume commentary to get you started. Now, if you're going to study some book in depth, you can find commentaries on that particular book. But we all need a one-volume commentary, and that would be the Moody Bible Commentary. I think that was the one I would recommend. Obviously, I'm biased, but I think it's a really helpful tool. So I would start with a Bible dictionary and a Bible commentary, and on that basis, you'll be good. Now, some people think you need a study Bible, and I actually think a study Bible is a great tool. I'd like to say I love the Ryrie Study Bible, which is a Moody Publishers book, but I think there is a better... Oh, boy... It's nice knowing you, Trisha. I may not be on the air next week here on Moody Radio, but I think there's a better one. It's the ESV Study Bible. It has Now, the problem with the ESV Study Bible compared to the Ryrie, you could get a Ryrie and carry it with you. It's not that big. You get an ESV Study Bible, you might as well just carry around the Moody Bible Commentary. It's that big. Okay. And so I think it's a good reference tool to keep on your desk, not necessarily a book to carry around with you. Okay. Uh, but if you want a Bible, a, a study Bible that you can carry with you, I think the Ryrie is the best. Okay. And just to clarify, because I know sometimes this can be confusing, the Ryrie study Bible comes in different versions. Mm-hmm. It can come in the New King James or the New American Standard, Standard or yes. NIV. It, they did. I have an ESV version. ESV. Okay. But I don't think they make that anymore. Okay. So that can come in different Bible mm-hmm. versions, Bible, Bible translations. translations. But the ESV study Bible will only be the ESV. Yeah. Okay. Because sometimes, like, when a name gets put to it, but it's like you yeah. can still pick your translation. Well, and you I, can, like, a... I think it's funny. The NIV study Bible, mm-hmm. that's a very good study Bible mm-hmm. as well. But it's also one you can't carry around with you. They make it in the size that you can carry, but the notes are so little you can't read it. <laughs> right. uh, Need your magnifying glass. Exactly. Uh, but they <laughs> You also... know what, though? I had one of those as a teenager because yeah. they had a student NIV student study Bible, and it was fine. I had no yeah. problem reading it. Well, the it. student one isn't as... <laughs> As detailed oh, as the regular okay, NIV okay. study Bible. But they've also made it where you can get the NIV study notes on a New American Standard Bible. So you can get the NIV study Bible with New American Standard text, which I think is funny. But Yeah, that sounds confusing, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so. Okay, so just one more thing to look for when you're looking at But top of the list, Bible dictionary. Bible dictionary, Bible commentary. A one-volume commentary. And then perhaps a good study Bible. So. Okay, but even a regular Bible. Mm-hmm. Can can help you because yep. you can look up the words in the dictionary. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for that. You want to take? No, we're gonna take. Well, a, we're, we're gonna take a break here. All right. Uh, I thank you so much, Trisha, for pulling that together. Yeah. You're that welcome. that was kind of those were fun questions. I think <laughs> they were. They yeah. Were. Uh, we're gonna come right back with more of your calls. That was Trisha McMillan. She's gonna uh, gather any questions you send in for the mailbag. All you have to do is. Go to our website and click on openlineradio.org. Click on Ask Michael a Question. But we're going to take your calls in just a moment, so stay right there. This is Michael Rydelnik and Trisha McMillan on Open Line.
Welcome back to Open Line. I am so glad that we're here together around the radio kitchen table talking about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. In Psalm 122.6, the psalmist exhorts us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's a prayer that we, I think, neglect too often. And that's why Chosen People Ministries' new calendar is a great reminder to pray for Israel and for the Jewish people. This year's calendar will just immerse us in the land of Israel and encourage us to pray. It has breathtaking photos of the land of Israel, and it also has prayer prompts so that we can pray more knowledgeably as we look at the pictures and look at the calendar. Since the Jewish New Year actually begins in the fall, most people aren't aware of that. They think it starts in January. But I think the Jewish New Year is right because when does the school year start? It starts in the fall. And so that's when the Jewish New Year starts. Uh, Because of that, Chosen People Ministries arranges for their calendar to start in September, and then it continues all the way through December of the next year. So if you'd like a copy of this great Messianic Jewish art calendar, all you have to do is go to our website. That's openlineradio.org. If you scroll down all the way, you'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and you'll be taken to a page, and you can sign up for your very own copy of Chosen People Ministries 2324 Messianic Jewish Art Calendar. I know you're going to love this. Well, we're going to go right back to the phone, speak with Marie in Naples, Florida, listening on WSOR. Hi, Marie. How can I help you today? Hi. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you so much. Now, you're not originally from Naples, I can tell. No, I'm not. You're from... And I know what's the next question. <laughs> you're from the Holy Land, New York, right? Yes. Yeah, there we go. How can I help you? Well, I've been, I've been very disturbed about um, the loss of a loved one, mm-hmm. which uh no God, but I don't know if she had uh, given her heart to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why letting let that bothering me. Um, well, obviously, you would want to know that she's with the Lord forever. That's a good thing to to be concerned about. But you have to trust the Lord on it. Yes, uh, I have a couple of people who came to me. They say when their loved one passed, um, the Lord came and told them exactly where they were. But well, I mean, yeah, I but no, 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 no. Don't don't, don't ever trust that. You know, don't ever trust that. What, what we have to trust is that we, while people are alive, we share the good news with them. We invite them to trust the Lord. That gives us assurance. Otherwise, we just trust God. They may or may not know the Lord. We don't know. We don't know a person's heart. But I, when people say, oh, I, I received a message from the Lord after someone had died that they knew me, uh, that's just—I I, just—that's not something that's uh, really helpful. Uh, the other day, I was talking to someone, and she mentioned that she went to First Peter um, three, thirteen to three eighteen, yeah, mm-hmm. and claimed that Jesus went to preach um, to the soul after the disobedience. You know, um, mm-hmm. the one that was in the ark, because there is no one after death who has uh, a second chance to salvation. Well, people sometimes use 1 Peter 3.19. 
that he went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. Yes. Yeah, and they use that. Well, here's the thing to remember about that. First of all, Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. So the, the opportunity to believe is when we are alive. It's why we have to be much more concerned about interacting, lovingly talking to our friends about the need to trust in the Messiah. I have a friend for 30 years and have had opportunities off and on to talk about the Lord. And recently, this friend was talking with me about going to a funeral and what the pastor had said about the assurance that the person who had died was now with the Lord Jesus because they had trusted in Jesus. And I thought, oh, I've been praying, God, give me another chance to talk to my friend. And I thought, this is my door. And I seized it and lovingly talked with my friend about how I would love one day to have that same confidence about this this dear friend. And we had a great talk about it. We've got to keep praying for those opportunities while people are yet alive so we can talk to them. Now, 1 Peter 3.19, what this is saying Mm -hmm. is that when Noah preached, the Lord Jesus was making proclamation through him, and he made proclamation to people who were watching him, uh, watching Noah build the ark, and they were ignoring him, and now they are spirits because they've died, and they're in prison awaiting their judgment. Do you follow? So it wasn't the Lord Jesus who preached to them directly. It was Noah. The Lord Jesus preached through Noah. He made proclamation to these people who were alive. They ignored him about the coming judgment, and now they've died, and they are spirits awaiting judgment in prison. Okay, so it's not talking about a second chance. First Peter 3.19 is talking about preaching through Noah to people who are alive, who are now spirits in prison awaiting future judgment. So, uh, Marie, if there's something I can encourage you about, first of all, if you have a loved one that passed and you don't know about their destiny, here's the thing to remember. Uh, Genesis 18, I believe, verse 25 says, the judge of all the earth will do what is right. You can trust God. He knows what's best. You never know what a person has done in their last moments. If they've ever trusted in Jesus, just trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing. And then secondly, seize every opportunity to talk to people about the Lord Jesus. It's essential that we do that. Do it winsomely. Do it lovingly. Don't, let's not be obnoxious. Let's pray for the opportunities. But we need to be bold about helping people come to know Jesus. So I thought she was because she was going to church and she was just lovingly on God. Okay. But I never know if she yeah. Well, if she was, listen, you don't need to have, you, you, you don't need to have a one-time experience. You know, there are some people who just come into the kingdom, they've, they love the Lord, and they, they can't pinpoint a time where they prayed to receive the Lord. But if they believe, the Bible doesn't say you got to have that prayer. What it says is you have to believe that Jesus died for us and rose again. And if she did, then she's with him. But uh, thanks for your call, Marie. We've got to go on, talk to Natalie in Bluegrass, 
Iowa, I think that is, or Idaho. I can't tell. Iowa. Iowa. <laughs> Iowa. Uh, yeah, Iowa. It's yeah. uh I don't know. Some call it heaven. But, yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't think I think that's West Virginia. Uh John Denver called West Virginia well, that's almost true. heaven, right? That's okay. True. Well, what yep. can I do for you? Okay, so um our uh, Sunday school class is studying the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And we kind of got hung up a little bit on verse 19, chapter 5. Mm-hmm. Um, Whoever then relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Um, but he who does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So we had we had three kind of questions, and I'm sure you can answer them all at once. One was, when he talks about the commandments, does he mean the Ten Commandments or the entire law, all of the laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, when he says that, he seems very, it's a very strong You know, we're, we're at one minute. Can I just uh, talk to you about this passage? Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, first of all, it's talking about the scriptures. Verse 17 says, uh, I came to, dis- I don't assume I came to destroy the law or the prophets. It's talking about all the Bible. It's not just talking about the law of Moses. It's also saying that we are under the whole Bible's authority. Think about 1 Timothy 3, where it says all Scripture is inspired. Does that include the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and the, and the writings? It includes mm-hmm. it all, right, doesn't it? That's our authority. Right. Uh, when Paul writes about not being under the law, he is saying that we're not under the Sinai covenant, the 613 commandments. That is not our operating system. We are operating under the law of Messiah. But all those 613 commandments in the law of Moses, all of them, they may not be uh, the strict commandment, but they are wisdom principles. So even though we may not be under the fourth commandment, the, uh, the Sabbath, at the same time, we should all take a day of rest. That's the wisdom principle. It's all our authority, and we shouldn't diminish the Word of God. So I hope that's a, that's a quick answer, Natalie. Next week, maybe we can talk about it some more. Call back then. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about Hopefully, you'll call back and we can talk about it. That's the program for the week. Thanks for listening, everyone. This is Open Line, so you can check out our website, openlineradio.org. It has all the links that we need till we meet again. You can listen to past programs, see our current resource, how to become a kitchen table partner. Keep reading the Bible, and we'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. See you next week.